Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute, formerly Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. We are broadcasting live from West Palm Beach at the International Leadership Association Conference. This year's theme is Authentic Leadership for Progress, Peace, and Prosperity. In the world that is increasingly interconnected, our actions as leaders ripple across the globe. This year's guests talk about their work as global leaders and practitioners to advance the field of leadership. International Leadership Association Conference, and this morning we are joined by Lynn Devenu and Marlene jansen Labert. Today we're going to talk about the challenges of women and more diversity in the voices of leadership and the fact that this is a very systemic and complex issue. There are many variables that need to be considered when we want to make an impact on change. We want to share some of the research so that our listeners who are struggling to bring more diversity and more equality into their organization, whether it's women or LGBT or uh, race or ethnicity, or even socioeconomic considerations. All of these are directly tied to the success of the organization, and yet they're not simple to fix, and many of us are grappling with how we might move that needle. So our guests are going to tell you a little bit about themselves and then the research that they're doing that can help all of us make some impact on this very important topic. So Lynn, why don't you start? Okay. Um, My name is Lynn Devenu, and I started formally as a leader fairly early in my days in IBM, and that was in the late 60s. I was one of the early women managers and proceeded to have a lot of opportunities for development while I was at IBM. I was definitely in the right place at the right time. I was in most functions. I started out in programming, although I'd never seen a computer before I went to IBM. I was in finance. I was in strategic planning. And I built an organization from the very beginning up to 400 people all over the world working on software product development. I left IBM just before IBM hit the challenging time and went for my doctorate. I went to Boston University 
and thought at the time I wanted to focus on high-tech strategy. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I realized that that really wasn't where my passion was. I was really passionate about women in leadership. And I've been focusing on that ever since. I teach, I'm in the doctoral program for the University of Phoenix online and lead their women in leadership um, development research group. Thank you. And Marlene, tell us a little bit about your background. Currently, I'm a uh, professor in, of leadership studies at Canada's only women's university, which is Brescia University College, which is an affiliate of uh, Western University in London, Ontario, Canada. But I have a curious root, same as Lynn. While I did get a PhD in strategy and business administration mm-hmm. strategy from the Ivy School of Business, it was in my third career as an academic. Uh, I had been a uh, senior healthcare executive in uh, the healthcare uh, system mm-hmm. for over 20 years, but it had been progressive. I had started in a nurse as a nurse and mm-hmm. had uh, then gone up through the ranks. So my management okay. experience is very much up through the ranks, and uh, I was always interested in how can we improve the system. I always had this goal on healthcare system changes. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I thought that perhaps research and getting the next generation to do a better mm-hmm. job than I had uh, was really my motivation then to for an academic career. I teach leadership. And I research uh, uh, leadership as well in uh, social change. Okay, great. So that's a a wonderful lead-in to talk about starting with aspirations. So as we look at, as women, do we have the right number of women in the boardroom? It starts early in our careers with what we see as possible. So let's talk a little bit about how women aspire and how they define leadership. Well, one of the most interesting things we found in our work together was that one of the most important things to do with aspiring to be a leader is to think being a leader is something you'd ever want to be. And for many little girls, when they look at what people who call themselves leaders are like, that's not what they think they want to be when they grow up. Mm -hmm. And so even little girls who lead often don't call themselves leaders. And so it makes sense to define how are you talking about leadership. You're not talking formal roles necessarily. Not necessarily. It's um, being able to influence groups of people going in a certain direction. You know, as kids, that's typically Mm -hmm. play activities. Who's the one that Mm -hmm. organizes the group uh, Mm -hmm. of uh, playing certain activities? Uh, Back to some of our research um, around... Uh, the sorry, Lynn. You no, I, wa- I wanted to to add to what you just said about organizing and things as mm-hmm. children, because both Marlene and I and the rest of the women we do research with with on women's leader identity found that early in our childhood we were organizing the neighborhoods or organizing our mm-hmm. group of friends mm-hmm. for reasons could be as simple as mine, which was I was the oldest kid in the neighborhood, and so mm-hmm. I come home from school and whatever, like if we did a kid, had a circus in kindergarten, I'd come back and the neighborhood would do a circus in the yard. Hmm. Um, but those kinds of things from early in childhood, Marlene has lots of stories too. Uh, yes, lots. But uh, some of the research that we found on aspirations, three main kind of areas is what does in our culture, what mm-hmm. does it mean to be a leader? What does the model of leadership actually look like? And typically we think of leaders as being agentic or the leaders are the ones that take action. Mm-hmm. And so we have um, some what we call second generation biases and deep structures around 
are women mm-hmm. seen as being agentic? Are women seen as taking action versus we do? We are expected to be communal. We're expected to mm-hmm. uh, be relational, and so those two don't seem to really mesh. The expectations, mm-hmm. the gender expectations, and uh, leadership. There's a little bit of a, a bias um, mm-hmm. in terms of women or gender and what it means to be a leader. We also have, you know, can we do it? So the, the woman, if you're looking at aspirations, and it's true for men as well, mm-hmm. I mean, but if we look at aspirations for leadership, it's what's in the culture. And then mm-hmm. do I fit that picture? Mm-hmm. Um, can I do that? And then we take a look at the costs and benefits of leadership. There are different costs and benefits to leadership for women than there are for men. So say more about that. We had some interesting conversations over the course of this series talking about highly ethical people often choose to think that leadership is something kind of painful, that you're causing people to do things that will be unpleasant. You'll have to fire people on things like that. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about the costs of leadership, I wonder if you're talking trade-offs or also the the personal cost. We were more talking the personal cost. Okay. We were we were thinking of um, of things like not being able to be a mom or not being able to be the kind of mom you think you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I I say I was married to IBM for the until I was fifty, and I was single. Okay. Now that's not necessarily the norm anymore, but it was mm-hmm. it was pretty pretty normal at that stage. Mm-hmm. So the costs and benefits, you know, some of what we talk, it is uh, personal, but it's also the role congruency uh, within a job. So if you take a look at you're the leader, Mm -hmm. there are status benefits for men in terms of being leadership. For women, Mm -hmm. there's also costs in terms of their status as a woman, their collegiality with other Uh, women with other men. So there are some differences in the research that you take a look at. You know, what are the costs uh, within your work area? What are the costs in your personal life? And that's what uh, Lynn was referring to. There Mm -hmm. are some costs in terms of women still are the uh, typically the homemaker and Mm -hmm. uh, the family, keeping the family together, whether that's your parents. You might be single, but everybody is a child. And Mm -hmm. uh, many, the caregiving of older people is typically falls to the females in the family, the daughters in the families. And so to say just because someone's single and doesn't have children, they don't have family responsibilities, they do. Um, and that—that that is, you've just described my life. So I don't have children, but right. I do have aging parents, and, and my mother right. was my responsibility when she was diagnosed right. with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And that, that does take time away from my work life. And it makes it hard to take to do transfers mm-hmm. and to be constantly traveling mm-hmm. and to maybe work long hours and, uh, and lots mm-hmm. of the other things that often go with moving up successful yeah and while we do see men taking on much more responsibility and if you particularly if you take a look at the young men uh, Mm -hmm. that are coming through they too are questioning the sacrifices that need to be made for work you said that because Mm -hmm. it does seem to be shifting and I I also work with women who have stay-at-home husbands yes they're not as common but they do exist. Absolutely. So again, it's not a black and white, Mm -hmm. and there's some shifting grounds around aspirations. Mm -hmm. But just to say, you know, if we take a look at why do people aspire, 
um, mm-hmm. to be leaders. Um, there's a lot going on mm-hmm. behind that. Okay. And it sounds like, and again, I'm trying to summarize but not take out the complexity, it sounds like as young girls we may have a different perception of what leadership looks like and the trade-offs may still not be worth the cost of getting it. Right, but it is a way to, to be able to make a difference and that's often one of the things that, that inspires someone to be a leader. Okay. Um, I, uh, the stories of some of the women in Africa and mm-hmm. some of the small villages who have made massive changes, they very seldom saw themselves as leaders before they got into the fact that they desperately needed water or okay. whatever they, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or their children needed to go to school. So we are still, I know California has now passed a law about yes. having women on boards, and, and we're looking at, we as a country, I think in the U.S., and I know Europe is doing it much more aggressively, looking at how to get women on boards. I think across the range of boards, but specifically some of the biggest companies, tech industry in the U.S. is badly represented. Mm, right. So quickly, before we go to break, what causes this? Do you have any sense of why this is? As a researcher, I know a bunch of people have points of view, but you actually research this. Well, I think it goes back to some of what we were talking about around aspirations, but also around the structural. We're all socialized the same way. Mm -hmm. Men and women, uh, we have certain values within Mm -hmm. our our Mm -hmm. culture. And this aspect of leading is very much tied to still this idea of a single person who is uh, the one that makes all of the decisions, Mm -hmm. who is the one who gives the direction, and... Embedded in that is one making these decisions as opposed to someone who is there to facilitate, to be relational, to be communal, which is more the gender role that we have for women. So if we take a look at that, that is we do have the uh, white males are predominantly in uh, the CEO roles, but also Mm -hmm. chairs of boards. Mm -hmm. That is what you'll still see. So we have this very deeply embedded in our structure, what it means to be a leader. And women and minorities don't fit that picture. But it's not, and so it's our own picture of ourselves and perhaps the training we've done in Mm -hmm. order to 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 be prepared for those roles. It's also the way the decisions are made as to who will be on the on the mm-hmm. boards. Okay. So, um, so it's also uh, an awful lot of. First, in the U.S., there's very low board turnover because of the lack of term limits right. on boards, which okay. many other countries have term limits for boards. Okay. So that means almost the only way you can grow the number of women on boards rapidly is to add to increase Seats. the size of the okay. board, which is obviously a challenge. Another one is the tendency to um, recruit for boards someone you already know and trust. Mm-hmm. And that someone you know and trust is often someone who looks a lot like you. Um, that you've worked with through the years, you've worked that with. you've golfed and with, or whatever. one of the things that has been found mm-hmm. is um, the woman who is known personally is trusted. And it and makes sense to add to your board. Mm-hmm. when you. But when you look at some woman who's been suggested mm-hmm. as having all the qualifications, well, will she really fit? Will she really okay. be someone we want once she's here? Okay. Yeah, I'm just thinking of someone I recently nominated for a board who was accepted, and she'll be fabulous. But how do we enter those settings where we don't already have the contacts? 
So many board members are also senior leaders in their own organizations. Mm -hmm. They're CEOs. And so Mm -hmm. that number is fewer to begin with, Mm -hmm. right? So women aren't getting some of the experiences that are typically looked for on a board as well. So you'll heal well, Mm -hmm. hear well. There's no one qualified. I hear that. Mm. That doesn't pass the logic test for me. Mm-hmm. But is mm-hmm. help me with the data. Well, well it's it's the fact that that um, most people on boards have been CEOs historically. Mm-hmm. There's some question as to whether that makes much sense in this changing world, where having a whole variety of expertise mm-hmm. um, on your board has a lot of value, and so might it be good to have someone who might understand your consumers. Cybersecurity, legal. Mm-hmm. There's so many places that women could come from mm-hmm. that might not have been CEOs already. Okay. Who, and those women executives. could add a whole lot to your board too. Okay. Yeah, typically, um, your most common senior mm-hmm. executive would be in the HR functions, will be ah, women. Okay. Okay. So there, you know, and that's of some mm-hmm. value on a board as well. Okay. So, but but typically that I'm not saying that women aren't qualified, but there will be fewer people, fewer women that fit the profile. Okay. Of what is typically looked for in and a board right. member. And what I hear you saying then is, as the profile changes, we have more options for women. Men. Yes. Okay. Yes. So let's go on break here, and we will be right back talking about women, identity, boards, and diversity overall. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are live at the International Leadership Association Conference with Lynn and Marlene, and we're talking specifically right now about women ascending to most senior roles either in corporations or nonprofits, and then board roles. And so tell us where we stand now. Uh, I think you were talking about the Fortune 1000 across different countries. So what are those numbers looking like? Well, it's hard to know exactly how to compare countries because countries Mm -hmm. call different things their boards. Mm -hmm. For example, in most of Europe, there's two levels of boards. Okay. And so um, it's a question a bit of which board is being measured, whether it's the the board that deals with strategy or the board that deals with running the company. Okay. Um, As opposed to the U.S. where there's only a single board that does include both kinds of folks on it. Okay. The United States is well down in the list and trending a little more slowly in its growth than some okay. of the others. Okay. At this point, countries such as Norway have exceeded the 40% um, women on boards of legislated um, goals. Mm-hmm. Other countries are really close behind. France is catching up really fast. Italy is doing really well. Surprisingly, Kenya is doing reasonably well in Africa. Oh, interesting. And the United States has just passed 20% for the um, women on Fortune 1000 um, boards as noted by Women on Boards 2020 in their latest data. They've been tracking it and they've passed their 20% of Fortune 1000 member Okay, so that number is very different than I hear on the radio periodically about Fortune 500. It looks like it's a really small number. So just pointing that out as, as many of us don't like me paying partial attention while I'm driving to work. And so we're talking about multiple data sets. Right. There, that's, that is okay. one of the really big challenges. It depends okay. on what you look at. If okay. you look at smaller companies, the numbers are worse. Okay. Normally. Okay. So right now in California, and I, I know I'm talking a little U.S.-centric at this moment, we now have quotas. There were quotas in Norway, right, or targets. Uh, how do those work? Well, is that effective? It's, it's not always the same. The ones that are the most effective are actually, they're penalties, huge penalties okay. for not meeting the targets. Okay. So it's really important that they meld with the culture. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the culture article because you spent a lot of time with that one? Sure. So one of the things that we found is that just having a quota may not be effective okay. if there isn't some kind of consequence for not meeting the quota. 
so that quota can be that you can't exist if you don't have women on mm. your board, a certain number of women on your board. Um, Germany is quite strict. Uh, we have quotas that are fines. So mm -hmm. where it's a fine, well, some companies decide, well, it's worth the fine. Okay. Business as usual, we'll pay the fine. But if it means that your qualification to continue to be a business, to be, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that might make a very difference. So they, it's not just the quota and what the percentage of the quota is, it's also what the consequences of not meeting mm -hmm. that quota. But if you take a look at the countries that began having quotas, mm -hmm. they're much more socialist. Okay. Than countries like the U.S. And, right? and so, so mandating you, is going to have a different impact. So in Norway, it is very different. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, already a much more egalitarian society as well, in terms of men taking on roles, maternity leaves, parental leaves. These are all structures in their fabric of mm -hmm, their society. Mm -hmm. They've already been passed. So you have this uh, very different kind of a culture mm -hmm. uh, that is much... homogeneous culture. Yes, changing a bit, but in the past has been much more homogeneous in terms of race, I think you're referring to. No, socioeconomic. I mean, well, in that many, many do, categories, yeah. races, so it has, everyone has the same yeah. kind of background. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, mm -hmm. they're not a melting pot. They haven't historically been a melting pot. And so you have a government plays a very different role mm -hmm. uh, than it does in the U.S., for example, in a socialist country. And so you have something that's very much more compliant and makes sense. It's progressing along, continue to be equality. If you have um, a country that has much more is much more individualistic and much more, you know, hands off for government, that government's there to set some uh, laws in place and to set the framework for business to be successful. Mm -hmm. That's a very different environment, and we know that from some of the um, European countries that we uh, that contributed to our book, for example, that there was a backlash. Right, so you might have a token woman. Okay, so this on is your the backlash board. is the tokenism yeah. right. issue. But they're not really integrated. They're not really listened to. They're not being effective. They're not. They're there, are but they, they're token. Are they picking the most qualified people? I'm just thinking well, if I'm, I'm governing I, an organization yeah. and I've got someone in the room who's highly competent. Yeah. Why would I not listen to them? But I guess that's my lens, not the predominant. There definitely are some women, um, they're referred to as golden skirts, which I think are kind of fun, hmm. who are on a whole slew of the boards in a country such oh, as Norway yeah. that, is trying, that has to put the 40%. Another thing that was found that I thought was kind of interesting, that some companies had more than 40% or whatever the goal target was. Mm -hmm. And in some countries, they're actually, they, some of the companies had fewer women afterwards because they bet that there was no need to go beyond the quota. And there's also been some repercussions in the number of women in senior management. When it happens um, organically, there's a lot of studies that show more women on boards means more women will be in the senior mm -hmm. roles. Mm -hmm. But there's been some of some of the in some of the quota places, the number of women in senior roles went down when the number of women on the board went up. So there was there's so, all sorts of yeah. unintended consequences that that vary from country to country. We had one chapter that I thought was really fascinating that was done out of Spain. 
the researcher was from Spain. It looked at all the cultural variations and the impact of culture. And it was, it was fascinating how you can't just take the laws or the situation from one country and plug mm -hmm. it into another right. to just mimic them in a mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. um, sort of benchmarking or taking it back to practice and, and putting in, just sticking it somewhere else that doesn't necessarily work in a different culture. So there are a number of, one of the strategies that has also worked besides quota are actual um, organizations, agencies that recruit and train women Okay. And then are the go-to in terms of board saying, okay, well, we want a woman. We don't know. We may have someone. Uh, we, we, need, we would like to, but we don't know within our circle somebody that mm -hmm. we think is really mm -hmm. qualified. And so you have these uh, different agencies. In Europe, in the U.S., there's many of them that okay. have been developed to identify potential women that are interested in being mm -hmm. boards and ensuring that they have the background and the understanding and have the skill set mm -hmm. to be effective. So that's another totally different strategy. Um, that has been quite effective. I do think, it just back to California for a minute, it is interesting if you take a look at the U.S. that it would be California that would have a quota, <laughs> right? Because it is already more progressive around maternity leaves, parental leaves, uh, different aspects, of different mm -hmm. social policies that they have. It is more progressive than other states. And so it, it is interesting that it would be in California. But it also has Silicon Valley where the statistics yeah. are the worst. Yeah. So it will yeah. be interesting to see, see how what it, see what happens. Out. Yeah, very interesting. But uh, so I was just wanted to plug that yeah. in. You know, it, yeah. is, it, it needs to, you can't take a strategy that works in one place mm -hmm. and just say, well, it worked there, let's do it here. It's much too simplistic. It's really understanding where is your populace at and looking at policy changes mm -hmm. and developing that. And this strategy of really looking at working with boards uh, to identify and ensuring that there are women that are well qualified. So it does sound like some something is required, whether it's a clearinghouse or something to, because I do know a lot of women who are highly competent, have been in C-level roles in, in large, organi large complex organizations, and it, it seems like board seats are still secured through networks. Mm -hmm. We're called upon, and it's the same way we move around as executives anyway. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. do I know and trust this person? Because mm -hmm. at that level, everyone's resume looks good, and they all have some missteps. But do mm -hmm. I trust you? Do you fit? Yeah, some of the statistics are interesting to do with whether or not executive search firms are used. Mm -hmm. They're almost never necessary, apparently, when it's a man. But the, mm. women, but the percentages are higher of the women who join boards because of having been hooked up by the executive search firm. Another okay. one is in the programs, that, such as the ones Marlene was talking about, a lot of them include a placement option, I mean a, a placement step in it, and a lot of them have coaches or mentors or mm -hmm. someone who's an experienced board member who the woman is paired with, who okay. could be an, another woman, it could be a man, whose role is to help them. Mm -hmm. find that first position. It does seem, though, doing nothing, the stats aren't going up very quickly. So It's, it's not shocking that doing nothing isn't making mm -hmm. a big impact. So if you were to recommend a few steps, we've, I think we've hit on them through the conversation, but can we give a list of two or three things 
an organization might consider if they want to raise the number of women on their boards or, or a state or... I'd say once, a, once an organization decided they wanted to raise the, women on, the number of women on boards, they probably wouldn't have a very hard time doing it. Okay. So I think that the challenge is to get to the stage where the organization decides it wants to. Okay. Because I still hear, and this is from women, there just aren't enough qualified women. And that doesn't That depends on true. how you define qualified. Remember the discussion we had before mm-hmm. about if, a, if qualified means has been a CEO of another company that's as big as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that there aren't very many women CEOs means there aren't any women qualified. Okay. So you have to um, actually think about what skills do you really need on your board and is it really a bunch of retired or other or CEOs current, yeah. or might it be good to have some of the expertises that, are, that maybe are lacking that are important in today's global society. And although we can't say all women mm-hmm. are interested in the same issues, we do know that when in general, we take a look at having at least three women on a board to be able to uh, make an impact. It okay. seems to be, you know, the voice needs to can't be a single voice. So for mm-hmm. organizations, it'd be take it seriously mm-hmm. about not just having one token voice, but really looking at additional diversity. And then some of the other issues, what we know from the research is the topics of what get discussed changes when there are women on boards, employee concerns, sustainability, whether that is social sustainability or whether it's environmental sustainability, tends to also be to the fore. So the Mm -hmm. topics end up being a little bit differently rather than meeting the quarterly financial imperative, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. it still has to happen. I mean, this is not, I'm not dismissing it. It still has to happen. But the direct route, the indirect route, through employee engagement, through mm-hmm. uh, employees being interested in the work and being wanting to work for the company that indirectly then contributes to the bottom mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the future, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, your sustainability and not being caught in uh, violation of environmental laws, these things tend to be, we know from the research, tend to be discussed more when there are more women on the boards. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to give an interesting an example I thought was interesting. A woman who I interviewed um, to do with women on boards was talking about, I wanted to convey that it's not, that they might sound like the soft issues, but they're not really. Mm-hmm. Um, she was talking about how um, at the time of a merger or acquisition, um, the assumption was made that everybody would move to the mm-hmm. new location because the people were the asset. And as they were going through this discussion, there was this, wait a minute, you know, we're going to, that's, that's just not going to happen. What are we going to have, what are we going to do that's going to begin to make them want to do that? Mm-hmm. And I believe it was decided to ignore that, and very few of them moved. So, so that, that bringing up those people issues mm-hmm. that, are, that are sometimes the soft issues, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but are really important. Okay, so people, sustainability... Employee engagement, customer satisfaction, those types of issues. Uh, Community engagement as well, Mm -hmm. being in the community. And I think a lot of organizations have understood that they exist within a community Mm -hmm. and um, that that it's really important to be in the community, whether they have a special arm that Mm -hmm. does, you know, donates money for education, for mm-hmm. kids' education, school programs, whatever they decide. But it's really looking at engaging with the community that they're in and benefiting that way. 
So as we close this segment, you keep referencing your book, but we didn't talk about it in the intro. What is the name of your book? More Women on Boards, okay. An International Perspective. Okay, so More Women on Boards, An International Perspective. Right. And for listeners who are interested in understanding the research and systemic solutions, this would be a great resource. It would. It's a, it's a pretty serious book, okay. um, but there's 42 authors from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, nine of them are men, which we, we thought was pretty, pretty important because we talk about women in leadership really not being just a women's issue. And, um, yeah, we and men are important mm-hmm. um, to making changes happen. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it's, I would expect it would be on Amazon and just about anywhere at any minute. It is mine. I haven't received my copy yet, so it's that close. It's in the mail. Okay. So it's, uh, it's really new. Okay. Well, and so that translates to latest research. It's latest research, yes. Okay, great. We will be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Have you tapped your full potential as a leader? Sometimes you have to go a little deeper and connect with your inner force. Join host Angela King as she invites you to discover something that already lies within you and helps you become a better leader. Your most important connection is the one you have with yourself. It's time to connect, ignite, and rise. It's time for Inner Force. Tune in live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
So welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are with Lynn and Marlene, and we are continuing to talk about women and boards most prominently and also a bit on diversity. So we talked during break about women in voice. And when a woman behaves the same way a man does, it is often perceived differently. And I know we talk about this, but I don't have any data. It's just a perception. So I would love to hear what the research actually says about voice. Sure, there's actually quite a bit. And you know, the range of topics is uh, this understanding or perception that women talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And we know that actually some really great research by uh, Braskell back in 2011 looked at politicians, for example. Mm-hmm. In the, the US, every word is recorded. And so you can actually do a count Okay. And take a look at how much do women speak, how much do men speak. And it's actually not true. Men do speak more than women. But we have a background and we've got lots of uh, history in terms of when women speak in a public. Uh, it, it's not acceptable. We're, we're to be quiet. And so it's this historical cultural norm Okay. Uh, for women to listen. And we have a funny little good uh, housekeeping 1955 article that is fun if any of you want to look it up uh, around how a woman should greet her husband when he comes home and the importance of listening. And we have that back again. Women are not to be taken, given, giving the direction. Culturally, women are there to listen, to smooth over. Uh, and so there is this perception when we speak that we're speaking too much compared to what the cultural norm should be mm-hmm. and our gendered ex- expectations. But we know from that also that more powerful people are allowed more space to speak. And so in this particular study, even when they control through objective measures, not every politician is as powerful as the next. So mm-hmm. if you even control for that, even the most powerful women in the legislature do not speak as much as the men do. So what is considered to be a norm around just the volume of speech, not what you're talking about, just mm-hmm. the being allowed to speak. We also have then, why is that? Well, women are interrupted when they speak. More than men are. More than men are, yes. So whether that is in the legislature or there's a a nice little study that was done by Donahue in 2015 and Snyder in 2014 in the tech industry and taking a look at the senior leadership table and actually measuring the amount of interruptions and who interrupted whom. And even junior men didn't get interrupted the way senior, senior women, women were. Okay. So this is a very common Uh, I could give other examples, but I'm not going to get into the political arenas, but it Mm -hmm. is absolutely, you take a look, and it's been well on the news, where women are uh, regularly interrupted and the men are given the space to finish their thoughts. One of the things that 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 reminds me of is the whole topic of when women speak, are they even heard? Mm -hmm. Um, And the need to almost have um, power and recognition before anyone even hears your voice. So the woman will make a suggestion and a few minutes later, a man makes the exact same suggestion, and now it's finally heard. Um, and I, I think that's sort of the classic story of how, in the Obama administration, mm-hmm. in the cabinet, the women decided that in order to make sure the other women's voices were heard and their own voices were heard, that when one of them said something, the other would immediately reinforce it, so that it would be constant, so that the person who had the idea or who brought up the topic was actually recognized for having 
So it doesn't it. have to be a man's voice that restates it. It just has it, to be a voice. Right. And But historically, it was a man who, who would... It, it would be like it wasn't heard at all. And then later on, somebody would... It would be a new thought when this person who had been who had actually heard it and was mulling it now suggests mm -hmm. it. So and taking a, credit. And taking, and taking credit. credit for the idea. And so now, as opposed to letting that happen, when, mm -hmm. when it's not a bad idea to learn from that other, from the experience, and so when mm -hmm. you hear another woman make a comment, reinforce it immediately and give her credit for it before mm -hmm. somebody else has the opportunity to do so. That's actually a strategy that I think, um, it was called amplification is what the staff in the Obama administration uh, talked about mm -hmm. and uh, gave it a name. And it is something that uh, some of us have been doing for a number of years is actually when a woman gets interrupted is to interrupt the man right back and say, because I'm more of a senior woman, say, Amanda, I really wanted, excuse me, but Amanda, I really wanted to hear what you were talking about. Could you please continue? And so there are some strategies mm -hmm. that women can help each other or men can men as can well help. because we yeah. often have. And I, just back to the idea of taking credit for somebody else's idea, it's not even deliberate. It is at an unconscious level that we simply have when a woman's interest introducing an idea, mm -hmm. culturally, we tend to ignore it. It and we do it to each same, other as it well. Ha, yes, it doesn't have the same credibility. Mm -hmm. And so when it is then, you know, it's mulling around in people's brains because mm -hmm. they have heard it, they haven't given credit to it, it hasn't been validated, uh, it's not a credible idea until someone else more powerful, like a male, may say it. So I'm not, you know, just to be really clear that this is not a deliberate, let's put women down, it is just embedded in our culture mm -hmm. around women's voices. There's other aspects, things like the expression of anger. So we know from some really great research that started uh, you know, back in 2008, Breskel and Ullman, that actually measured the impact that the expression of anger would have. So at, for a man, the more status you have, when you express anger, it actually increases your status. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're the junior guy, no, no pounding and screaming. No, you can't be doing that. It'll decrease your mm -hmm. status. The, absolutely not. But as power increases for men, their status, their expression of anger, their status actually goes up. Okay. For women, that is not the case. And in fact, women continue to be seen as being emotional when mm -hmm. they express anger, as opposed to, why does a, a, a powerful man, when he's anger, mm -hmm. well, because he has credibility. And obviously, he's angry because the situation is wrong. Men are, it's the external, mm -hmm. and all power to him that he is calling it out, and he's mm -hmm. angry, and that things are going to change. He, it actually, he's asserting, an angry, powerful man is asserting his rights. So, and so status goes up. For women, you don't have that luxury. And so when you're angry, your status actually goes down and you're seen as being emotional and therefore not a good leader because you can't control yourself. So what is the strategy? And this is very real for me because I, mm -hmm. I work with senior women. Mm -hmm. Often I work with them because they're seen as not as leaderly or either not warm enough and mm -hmm. not nurturing enough, which is, again, the double things bind. culturally yeah. were yeah. assigned. Yeah. And the same people who are not warm happen to be passionate about their work, so they do get angry. What would you advise someone who's incredibly competent, has earned her way 
to a senior level role yeah. That, yeah. that she wants to yeah. be credible. So we right? know from the research the only strategy that seems to be effective is to make it very clear what in the situation is wrong. Okay. And then stating, rather than flying off and being mm-hmm. angry visibly and all the rest of it, is actually using the words. Describing the situation, and this makes me really angry. But not showing the anger. Well, you can. Okay. But you have to first describe that. The whole ah, scenario okay. and what is wrong. It needs to be very clear that the anger is tied to the inequality to something that's mm-hmm. out there that is simply wrong and usually more related to not somebody's incompetence. Yes, you can point that out, uh, but we get into problems with relational aspects that we're still supposed to be supportive and trying to help the person that's done something wrong. But being very clear about what about the environment is either unjust, whether uh, in equality, in equity, or that was an agreement. So my mm-hmm. anger in the past in a very senior position would be when we've had an agreement mm-hmm. and the agreement has been broken. And so what you do is saying, this was my understanding of the agreement. Is that what you understood as well? Mm-hmm. And you then know, to make sure and then say, but you just did this. How do those two relate? So instead of saying, I'm angry because you didn't do it, it's, no, it's walking back to through the what logic. You would, yeah, walking okay. through and, and making it very clear that it's in the environment and in the context. It is not something, I'm having a bad day, I've got my, you know, I'm hormonal, all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. The assumption that's made, that is very clear, and it's justified in the situation when there was an agreement and that trust has been broken. Thank you, that's very helpful. One of the other things I hear is about women taking credit. So I'm, I'm doing a good job and the work should stand for itself. Mm-hmm. Is there research on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, a lot, there's lots of research on the challenge of promoting yourself. So can you share with us some of what that looks like? So uh, one of the really, in, so a really interesting study that was done and in a case study where business students were given, uh, the class was divided in half, mm-hmm. and the case that was given was exactly the same except for the name Howard in one case, the name Heidi in the other case. Mm. And then the students were asked, would you hire this person? You know, it was a case, you're the CEO, would you hire this person in, in your role? And the students, both males and females, that had the Howard case said, yeah, sure, very competent, you know, mm-hmm. and the description, and the students then that had the Heidi case said, no, she's really full of herself. You hmm. know, she's, uh, she's out for herself. She's not going to be a team player. The case elements were exactly the same. And what it was, is that we know for men to be into leadership positions, they do need to promote themselves. Okay. And for women, when they promote themselves, they're seen as being, we're not fitting the ideal. So it needs to be this balancing act for women. We, You do need to promote yourself. Okay, right. that was that's what you need to do. Yeah. But better yet, if you get somebody so, else, have a deliberate conversation with someone else that's mm-hmm. around that can do the promoting for you. And if it's a powerful male that can do the promoting, that's even the best. Yeah, that it's whole idea of allies is really important. Okay. So, um, who so can you help you through some of these things that aren't socially acceptable if you're a woman. Someone mm-hmm. who can help reinforce that it was more acceptable. Okay, so, so we're on a team together and I have 
the more powerful man say or powerful woman, but don't okay. avoid men. Okay. I'm yeah. just saying, you know, it doesn't need mm-hmm. to just be other women, but somebody who believes in you that they need to be vocal mm-hmm. in promoting you. And um, pointing out what you've contributed and how much you've done. And So we just finished this big project. Instead of saying, I did, he would say, he, uh, I'm thinking of a specific yeah. case. We pushed this across the finish line and thanks to right. Sue yes. so for you her as the contribution. Lead, yes. as, the woman because as she the, really led this huge portion of it. Without, without her leadership, it wouldn't have happened. So the lead, you as the senior woman who's leading this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, team would uh, give credit to your whole team. Mm-hmm. Really important that women have to give credit to everyone okay. else. And then your boss says, wouldn't have gotten it through the finish line without your leadership. Mm. Mm. But that's, you know, the best scenario yet. And some of this requires pre-work. Yes, it does. And it requires uh, sponsors. Men have sponsors mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Not just mentors, but sponsors who see opportunities and suggest you're the right person for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so men have that. That is a normal practice. And um, that is what women need as well. So this conversation has been amazing to me. I've been looking for sources of this kind of information. So you have a conference coming up where I'm assuming these kinds of conversations happen. Tell me about that. Well, coming up in June okay, is the fourth conference of the Women in Leadership Affinity Group of the International Leadership Association. Okay, so June 2019, because I it's hope people June will be listening to June 2019, from the 16th to the 19th. It's going to be in a wonderful setting, as the Women in Leadership conferences are. We pick retreat-type settings where, every, where you come and you're totally immersed in a group of probably 300 to 400 others um, who are all interested in women in leadership. We hope it will be a wonderful mixture of academics and practitioners. And men and women. Men are welcome to come. So if you missed the 2019 one, this is an annual event that you can find out about by going to International International Leadership Leadership Association. Association. Again, this is just so important that we understand. We know what's not working because people tell us. But we often don't know, especially from a research basis, what is most likely to work. Mm -hmm. I realize I still have to experiment in my office with my people, Mm -hmm. but the guidance of getting a sponsor to, or Mm -hmm. an advocate to Mm -hmm. restate, to how do we amplify one another? How do we express anger in a way that is appropriate given the gender expectations? I can't change gender expectations single-handedly, but I can certainly work within them to increase my effectiveness. And as competent humans, not just women or men, but competent humans, we need all voices right now because our, our world is complex and we can't take any half of the population out and expect to thrive. Right. So thank you. This has been absolutely insightful and... I hope that lots of people are able to listen and benefit and join your conference and read your book. Why don't you one last time restate the book name? More Women on Boards, An International Perspective. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for joining us.
joining us live in West Palm Beach at the International Leadership Association Conference. In these turbulent times, investing time and energy to build and evolve leadership skills becomes a critical success factor for individuals and their organizations. I challenge each of us to explore the impact of leadership on our lives and on the lives of those we lead. Imagine what each of us could do as we work together to address our challenges and leverage this unique point in time where the impact of a small change from one person or one organization can ripple across the globe. Together, we can create a world that is truly peaceful, just, and prosperous. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you join us again soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.